Welcome back to the People of the Way podcast, a conversation for those who care for children and want to raise them in the virtues of God so they can grow up in every way into Jesus Christ. You can find out more about us by visiting peopleoftheway.org or by going to the People of the Way private Facebook group where you're invited to interact more personally with others online with the topics we discuss here on audio. My name is Sarah Cowan Johnson, and I'm the executive pastor of Sanctuary Church, which is a covenant church in Providence, Rhode Island. We are one church with three congregations and a network of missions seeking the renewal of our neighborhoods, our city, and the world. And I'm also the daughter of Father Len Cowan, who's the other voice that you hear on this podcast. And my dad, along with my mom, Hallie, um, co-founded the Abbey of the Way, which is a home and ministry of prayer and spiritual formation for leadership development. You can visit abbeyoftheway.us for more info. So in this family-based conversation, we cover three generations between the two of us, my parents' generation, and then my husband, Greg, and I, and then our children, Noah and Silas, who are 10 and 6. And we reflect here on how both sets of parents were and are seeking to raise up children who walk in the way of Jesus. Now, in our conversations here, we talk about adopting various spiritual practices or disciplines as a family and inviting our children and grandchildren to share in them with us. But in doing so, we focus first on virtues. We're asking the Holy Spirit to put into us and our children those attributes of Jesus which can grow in the good soil of a well-practiced life in him. We believe that certain spiritual practices will put us in a place where the Holy Spirit will plant in us and in our children virtues which make us true Christians, people who live in and like Jesus. So today, we want to focus on the virtue of empowerment. It's clear from the life of Jesus in the Gospels that he was a man of power. Even on the night he was betrayed, his voice had power literally to knock over a mob come to arrest him. Even as earlier, it had power to call forth a dead man out of a tomb or to dispatch a legion of demons into a herd of drowning pigs. Now, Jesus was clear about his priorities and undeterred in his mission. He had power that enabled him to refuse to be swayed by the desires of others that he become a healer or a king. And he also had power to resist the lures and the forces around him which threatened to misshape him, seen in his refusing the devil's temptations in the wilderness and elsewhere. He had tremendous power and influence in the lives of others, such that people listened to him, they learned from him, and eventually followed him. In one case, leaving boats, uh, which were a source of income, literally by the seashore. But it's also clear that this personal power of Jesus was derivative, at least as he understood it. He routinely attributed the power that he had in his sense of direction, his integrity, and his leadership. He attributed that power to his heavenly father, saying on one occasion, the son can do nothing by himself unless he sees the father doing it. For whatever the father does, the son also does. Uh, Jesus routinely stepped aside to engage his heavenly father in prayer and then returned, filled with the Holy Spirit, demonstrated in a variety of powerful gifts for ministry. 
And from his spending only 40 days present with his followers after his resurrection, his giving them his authority to continue his mission on earth, and 10 days later, his sending the Holy Spirit to empower them to do it, it's equally clear that Jesus gave his power away to others, encouraging them to be empowered personally and corporately in him. So that's the holy empowerment that we're talking about today, a holy empowerment for adult followers of Jesus Christ and for their children. We seek to engage God in such a way that he can make us into people who live, act, and serve in the power of God, empowered by him and empowering others in him. Now, this recording is being made during the height, at least in this part of the world, of the coronavirus uh, epidemic, uh, when on this very day, more people died in my state than in any other time. And these are days of social isolation when uh, we're practicing practices that have literally disempowered us, taking people away from jobs, from their livelihoods, uh, causing kind of distress for children, being away from school, disrupting the lives of of individuals and families and some uh, portions of our culture, the poor, the disadvantaged, way more than others. The virus has pushed us away from situations and activities in which we used to sense and exercise some kind of sense of personal power. Well, as perhaps a consolation in the midst of this huge desolation, we and our children have the unique opportunity to reconsider a major source of power in our life that frankly, sometimes we just don't engage. For those of us who have the power of economic or social privilege, or those of us who lack those inheritances which are being seriously threatened in these days, we can examine how much of our personal empowerment or disempowerment derives from circumstances which have either been handed to us or denied us. For others who have exercised a sense of empowerment through the exercise of our will, our tenacity, we sort of built power in our lives, we can examine just how quickly that empowerment can be devastated by circumstances. So we can ask a basic question of what it means to be deeply formed in Christ. Where is God in all of this? Where is God in the power that I feel or the lack of power that I feel? And we can help ourselves and our children to discover how to live more like Jesus in a life lived primarily in the power of God, the solid rock, which will not fail as does the sinking sand of personal or cultural empowerment. Hmm. That's so good. And we have such an opportunity right now in this very strange season to reflect yeah. on all of these things. Hmm. So how do we and our children become empowered by God so that we can continue to stand tall in a time when it's tempting to cede the power given to us by God by succumbing to the fears all around us? And how can we rest in the power and authority given us by God rather than grabbing additional power from sources other than God or seeking unhealthy sources of influence or security or trusting deceptive voices calling us to a different kind of worship. How do we do this well as a family? And so in this podcast over the months here, we have discussed ways of intentionally parenting and discipling our children to help them to walk in the way of Jesus. And so today we want to do that with this virtue of empowerment. 
And as we've said before, we do this in different ways with different practices for the different stages of faith development in children and adults. So a reminder, uh, we look at three different stages of faith development for children. The experiential stage, which is the little guys, um, you know, little kids ages, babies to six years old, roughly. These are kids who learn by doing. And then we move to the affiliative stage, which is older elementary and preteens who learn primarily by belonging. And then we move into a searching stage, which is teenagers who learn by questioning. And then finally moving into an adult faith by God's grace. So across all of these stages, um, the spiritual practice of asking for the filling of the Holy Spirit can put us in a place where we can receive and live in the power of God. Now, obviously, for listeners who are familiar at all with church history, there has been some confusion and controversy surrounding the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the years. This has sometimes resulted in either an underemphasis on the Holy Spirit, whereby we become functionally binatarian rather than trinitarian, focusing only on God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, um, so we can underemphasize the person of the Holy Spirit. Or we can tend towards an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit, whereby we become functional Gnostics, possessing a kind of special power, which brings us above the incarnate plane of living. And so we want to pursue a middle ground there. And so a helpful balance to these two extremes is recognizing that the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is described differently by John on the one hand and Luke on the other. John describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit, particularly on the night of Jesus's resurrection, as being breathed into us as the breath of new life, which makes us one with the crucified, risen Christ. This is why Paul says that no one can say with integrity, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit, implying that all believers possess the Holy Spirit. But in Luke and Acts, we see the promise and fulfillment of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, who comes upon already spirit-filled believers to equip them to do the works of Jesus himself, to share in and continue his ministry on earth after his ascension. We see throughout Acts the believers being repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit's power to accomplish signs and wonders which validate the good news of Jesus. And so Paul also says that we are to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is this second sense of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we're speaking of today, that we and our children already possessing the Holy Spirit by our faith and union with Christ would keep on being filled with the Spirit as we ask for his empowerment. So what we're recommending here is some conscious ways, some active disciplines for encouraging ourselves and our children to seek the filling, the empowerment of the Spirit. Now, in thinking about this, I can honestly say that Sarah Cowan Johnson and her sister Betsy didn't grow up in a family which really actively practiced this in an intentional way. Though Hallie and I believed in the power of the Holy Spirit and routinely sought his empowerment for ourselves and exercised the gifts of the Holy Spirit in ministry, we really didn't extend that emphasis so much to our children. I can even remember at one point when Sarah and her sister had grown up turning to Hallie and asking if we somehow missed the boat when it came to introducing our children to the Holy Spirit and his power for living. Now, thankfully, I wasn't worrying about his presence in their lives, for it was obvious that they both 
were and are serving in his power first and foremost. But we never really talked about that. It just was not really an emphasis in our lives. And they've reported that it was primarily through their witnessing that source of power in us that helped them to go and do and live likewise. However, I do feel that the practices, which we'll be discussing here, could have helped them to more actively, fully, and openly lived in his power, at least at a much earlier age. And it's so funny to hear you say that because I would definitely underscore that I do not think Betsy and I missed out on this at all. (laughs) Well, that's good to know. And in fact, I think when I compare my childhood to many of my Christian friends who particularly might have grown up in sort of a more evangelical um, you know, stream of the church, I think my upbringing was full of the Holy Spirit in a way that I feel like has been remarkably different, I think, than some of, some of my friends. So, but I do think that it, it was witnessing the way that you all, you and yeah. mom, yeah. Um, lived and operated in the Holy Spirit's power all the time and talked about that. And our church, you know, lived yeah, that way too. We did. So. Well, they're, they're friends. You have an example <laughs> of that greatest gift that parents uh, pass along to their children and that they incorporate into their parenting, which is a whole lot of anxiety and guilt. <laughs> and uh, so there we are. Uh, but uh, it's good to know. But but I think what you're going to be hearing about today will just kind of open up the subject yes. in a way that's not jamming it down anybody's throat, yes. but just making sure that there's this awareness of this amazing person of God, the Holy Spirit, who wants to be actively involved in a child's life all the way through uh, until they grow up in every way into Christ. Yes. So um, my first recommendation is kind of similar to what we were just talking about, which is really modeling and having an expectation, um, first of all, that the Holy Spirit exists and is a full member of the Trinity. Um, So talking about the Holy Spirit, um, engaging the Holy Spirit, but also modeling and having the expectation that our kids can engage the prophetic. Um, And I think that this is really important. I think that a lot of, for example, Sunday school curriculums do not go there with our kids. They focus mostly on Bible and um, behavior. And I could talk at length about my distaste for some of our (laughs) sort of, um, you know, just the trends in mass marketed Sunday school material. Um, And I do want to share one story, and I will not mention the name of the Sunday school um, curriculum. But um, I noticed in the curriculum that, um, in one curriculum, that the Holy Spirit was never mentioned in any of the Bible lessons for kids up through kindergarten. It referred to God and Jesus, but no mention of the Holy Spirit. And it concerned me, so I called them up and asked if it was an oversight or what, and um, the representative told me, no, it wasn't an oversight. It was intentional because children are not abstract thinkers. And so we don't want to confuse them. And so we don't introduce the Holy Spirit until first grade. (laughs) And so it just, I was, I literally um, thought I was calling to like point out a massive oversight (laughs) in their curriculum and to find out it was intentional that they didn't talk to little kids about Mm. the Holy Spirit. And this is a major, very well-known curriculum that I actually really love. Um, 
it was just shocking to me. So uh, that is out there. And so I think it's really important to talk about the Holy Spirit and to talk about the prophetic with our kids and to understand and expect that our kids are able to, um, you know, display gifts of the Spirit. Um, our our two and a half year old had a prophetic word for Greg and I um, about a situation in our lives that he knew nothing about. Um, we had had a miscarriage and he did not know that we were pregnant. We never talked about the baby in front of him. And one night, um, right after we had been prayerfully asking God, you know, um, to, to show us if this baby was a boy or a girl, um, our two and a half year old at bedtime, thanked Jesus for the baby girl. And so, I just think we have to have the expectation that kids can engage the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Spirit and operate in the prophetic. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing. To- no, that's, that, that's really huge. And mm-hmm. to kind of deny that the Holy Spirit can speak or act through a child is just like, it's lunacy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just going through the stages and thinking about specific practices that we can put our kids in a place where they are able to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So for little kids, so, you know, babies through um, roughly six years old, I think beginning to engage in very simple sort of spiritual warfare type activity. Um, So with our kids, when there were fears or just irrational kind of bedtime fears, we would tell them to pray, you know, go away monsters in the name of Jesus. I don't know if those kind of terror, night terror things are demonic and I I don't need to know. I just want to pray, go away monsters in the name of Jesus. So teaching our kids that they can have power over the things that they're afraid of over the spiritual world. Um, Putting on the full armor of God as a practice with little kids. Um, Another one is Whenever our kids are sick, obviously we would take them to the doctor and (laughs) do all the normal things. (laughs) We're not crazy, but we would also anoint them with oil for healing and teach them from a very young age um, that we pray to God for healing. We credit God with healing, even when it's medicine that heals us. And so anointing with oil is a very concrete, it's a tactile practice. Sometimes it smells really nice. And so um, to do that with little kids, our youngest still calls that annoying. So he says, mom, can I annoy you with oil? <laughs> so we haven't corrected it because it's so cute. Um, a couple great. of other ideas, uh, teaching them a breath prayer. So breathing in, you know, deep breathing is a great relaxation practice for bedtime or whatever, but teaching them to breathe in the spirit of God, that Jesus breathes on us and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So teaching them breathe in the spirit of God and then breathe out the junk of the day. Um, another just basic practice is teaching them listening prayer, teaching them that they can hear God's voice. And so I think a key thing with little kids is helping them to understand that the voice of God isn't always an audible voice. In fact, usually it's not, but oftentimes it is uh, a thought that he places in our own thoughts, in our own mind, that the Holy Spirit can speak to us in our thoughts. Um, so practicing, um, Things like Ignatian Colloquy, where we do imaginative prayer or listening prayer, where we're just thinking Mm. about what's coming into our minds. And so a great book for adults um, that helps explain these practices for adults is called The Four Keys of Hearing God's Voice. Recommend that highly. So those are some practices for little kids, again, who are learning things by doing them, by practicing them, by repeating us and 
you know, mimicking the things that we are doing. For slightly older kids, so moving into older elementary and preteens, the affiliative stage, I think at this point they are learning and uh, believing by belonging to the family and then eventually to the peer group. So I think encouraging practices that, um, that help them to exercise spiritual power within a group. Um, so encouraging prophetic words and the sharing of things that God tells them for their family members or for their friends, you know, teaching them how to test words from the spirit, um, praying for one another in the family for the filling of the Holy Spirit. So maybe that becomes a weekly Sabbath ritual where we pray over one another and ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then moving into um, not just anointing them with oil for healing, but inviting them to pray over family members who are sick. And so my oldest, anytime there's an injury, I stub my toe and I'm, you know, or the younger one is crying because he hurt, you know, he immediately says in the name of Jesus, I pray for that ankle. You know, he's just an instinct in him to pray for healing um, and trust God's power that again, we can put an ice pack on it, but we can also ask God for his power to heal and to restore. That's awesome. I think one other thing that is true in both of those uh, uh, earlier stages and in the later stages that I'm going to get to in just a second has to do with engaging the scripture because, you know, the Bible tells us of itself that it is God breathe, the, the Holy Spirit uh, moves in the scripture. And so things like uh, teaching kids how to you know, read and study the Bible, perhaps memorizing little verses of the Bible, that's material that God can use, God the Holy Spirit can use to bring to mind the uh, words from God, can inspire words from God. And, and uh, so that's another, another source of the Holy Spirit's empowerment is that people have words from God that come out of God's word directly that can either pop up in certain circumstances as they do when you've been hanging around the scripture for long enough and uh, can be literally empowering such as Jesus. You know, when he encountered Satan in the wilderness, he didn't just say, um, go away. He actually used the word of God as, as an offensive and defensive uh, weapon. When it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and keeping on being filled with the Holy Spirit during the searching stage, when questions are beginning to be asked about all of this stuff, I think that's a great time for uh, engaging in what uh, uh, church historians call hagiography, which is studying the lives of the saints, mm -hmm. of the great people of God who've done these amazing things. I'm currently engaged in some of this with my 10-year-old uh, in terms of uh, grandson in terms of just getting a sense of what it's like to look at the lives of people who've been empowered by the Holy Spirit and trying to get behind, you know, some of the kind of halo kind of teaching to get to the real person and, and the way um, we, uh, they struggled and, and operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. We just looked at the martyrdom of Perpetua and her companions in 235 AD, a fairly gruesome story that actually has a children's kind of cartoon version that is well told and not kind of horribly gruesome, but it's, it's just this beautiful picture of these people operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. So to help somebody who's developing into a searching faith kind of person uh, to explore uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in Scripture and in history. Uh, again, sometimes depending upon the way you look at things, the book of Acts is a remarkable kind of outpouring 
of uh, and manifestation of the word of God and the, the growth of the church. And isn't that amazing? But obviously, I think it's better titled the acts of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Uh, and we just see the Holy Spirit doing just amazing uh, things in word and in wonder. Uh, you look at the the history of the church and the history of the influence of God's people down through history, something that they're never going to get uh, in their, you know, uh, junior high school or high school curriculum. Uh, I didn't get that, frankly, until I got into seminary and just happened into a particular class uh, led by a guy who'd done a study of history based upon how did the Holy Spirit move through all of these eras. I hated history. I was with Henry Ford, who said history is bunk. I thought history was a waste of time until I began to explore, oh my gosh, God is at work in history. Mm -hmm. It's a great way uh, for searching faith people to look at the, the fame and the foibles of the church when it operated in the power of God and when it operated in the power of itself or its institution and to begin to kind of sort out uh, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, Dad, I mean, just to interject there, I still remember the bedtime stories that you read to us of missionaries, mm -hmm. um, you know, overseas encountering incredible spiritual warfare, you know, and it was those stories that I still, you know, that have yeah. kind of stayed with me. We know the Bible stories, but the stories of people who feel relatable in some ways that really impacted me. I think this is also a time in the searching time of faith to, to help a young person to begin to get a sense of their personal power and where that comes from. Uh, for example, uh, to learn about such things as are current today, issues of the power that comes with a particular gender or a particular racial group in, in a culture or a particular economic status or a particular cultural privilege, that power accrues to certain people by virtue of who they are in terms of their gender and their uh, place of birth, their racial group, and so on, both in terms of positive accrual and negative accrual, that, that, that this is important in terms of sorting out, well, what power am I really using here? Uh, is this mine? Did I actually exercise my own personal power or did I just exercise power that came to me derivatively? Or am I not capable of exercising power because I'm just a powerless little schmuck or because certain things have not been given to me by virtue of where I am in life? Uh, this is a time where it's really helpful to begin to help a young person to unpack the whole issue of where uh, they encounter power so they can learn to distinguish between human sources of power and the source of power that comes from God that quite frankly, if you witness the power of God working in history, he tends to work with those of low degree and tends to send the powerful in this world who rely on their power, he tends to send them someplace else until they're capable of putting that power down in order to uh, return to adopt his power, which is a great leveler. These are things that we want to explore with people who are beginning to raise a lot of questions uh, about such matters uh, in their lives. I think also for someone of a searching faith, it's, it's wonderful if they can witness and be part of experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, such as uh, engaging in experiences of healing prayer, perhaps at a healing service or some other type of, uh, of healing experience where they either see the power of God and act some kind of an amazing work of healing, 
or they simply feel the power of God as people pray. They feel the love of God. They feel the mercy of God. They feel the tenderness of God. And they say to themselves, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Certainly spiritual retreats, if there are such, and opportunities for a young person to go away with a group of their peers and some, and some sensitive and thoughtful and safe adults who lead them in experiences uh, of, the, of the Holy Spirit, of the power and presence of Jesus, uh, where they can come away saying, oh, I still have a lot of questions, but man, I could feel him. Mm-hmm. I could feel him there. Mm-hmm. And, and because I feel him, I know that there's some reality there and, and that can give them some encouragement as they continue to ask the questions that they must ask in order to move into the next stage, which is the own stage of faith with in and of itself is not static, but it simply is that you've gotten to a place where you at least begin to feel like you have your feet on some solid ground uh, in the Lord and in his power. One of the things that I fitfully have practiced and certainly recommend um, in one degree or another is, is the thing that's called practicing the presence of God, which has to do with just simply like right now, as I'm talking to you now, I'm talking to you about God. So you'd think I have thoughts in my mind about God. Well, that may or may not be so. You'd be surprised what pe- preachers think about as they're reading a text in <laughs> front of them. But I'm saying that as you're washing the dishes, or as you're driving the car, as you're working on a problem at school, or as you're um, engaged in some type of a meeting on Zoom these days, you know, when you're driving, getting it's driving you nuts, um, that you can engage in the presence of God. You can press into God. You can be aware of God's presence. Um, there are several practitioners of this, one that you probably have heard of, Brother Lawrence, who was a monk of many centuries ago, who wrote a book uh, called Uh, uh, the practice of the presence of God. Then there was a missionary who served in the Philippines in the 1940s uh, named Frank Laubach, who wrote about the game of minutes. And his was more scientific exploration of how many minutes today can I be in the conscious presence of God? And he wrote his dad letters about how this game of pressing into God was going. This is a wonderful way uh, to encourage our, our, our children and ourselves to experience the the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, moment by moment. This probably comes the closest to what uh, we're told by the Apostle Paul to pray without ceasing, that it's not we're closing our eyes or bowing our heads. We're just in the presence of God, even as we're fully present to the tasks in front of us. Somebody with an own faith, one of the signs of an own faith that's really developing as Christ begins to be formed deeply in that person is that they begin to give away uh, the power that God has given to them or the power that they've either achieved on their own efforts or that has been handed them uh, in some way by uh, cultural privilege. And they begin to look to empower others. Certainly when you get to my age and get into your 50s and 60s, that really should become a way of life for you, that you're not interested in climbing that one last hill so you can you know, put a stake in the ground and say, I did this or I made this, even if it's something spiritually powerful, but that your greatest joy becomes in helping to empower somebody in the next generation or the subsequent generation after that, like my grandkids. You know, nothing would give me greater joy, says John, than to see my children or my grandchildren walking in the truth, being flooded with the power of God, having a sense of their own personal power that's tempered and fueled uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit within them. For certainly an owned faith is meant to be a life that is marked by the power of God, both received and passed along to others. A faith that is both capable of moving mountains 
and also standing firm on the rock of Jesus Christ when it feels like the mountains are just caving in us, on us as they're doing today. Uh, such was the case for St. Paul, who, though he was empowered to bring the gospel to the whole world, leading thousands to Christ in his lifetime, and countless more through his uh, powerfully inspired writings in the scriptures, nonetheless was a person beset by huge weaknesses. It's just astounding when you read his story that he was literally thrown out of almost every city he visited. His biography runs a list of ways in which his weaknesses became an advantage for the cruel powers of others in the world around him. And this ran so counter to his prior experience as a non-Jesus believing Jew. He describes at one point that he was the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was at the top of the cultural heap. He had more power in the Jewish culture than almost anybody. And then when he accepted Jesus, all of that power was thrown literally out the window. He was turned upside down. He who was on the top of the heap was literally on the very bottom with Jesus. And it was there that the power of God uh, really began to, to shine through him. And as that power began to increase, uh, Paul writes uh, in his uh, second letter to the Corinthians about how he was, uh, again, by God, so to speak, disempowered. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, to keep him from being conceited, either relying upon his past empowerment or relying upon, oh, I got the power of the Holy Spirit. He describes how he was given a thorn in his flesh. He called it a messenger of Satan to torment him. And he writes, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You know what? He says that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So in these days, when the cruel powers of this broken world in sickness and in economic destruction seem to be crashing down upon us and upon some of us way more than others, it will be the power of God which will be made perfect or become even more complete in us in our weaknesses. So may we cede to God, give back to God, any other so-called power in our life as we approach him in our weakness, confessing to him and to others our need for the saving grace of Jesus, the loving care of the Father in these days, and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can receive that grace, that care, and that power which will be perfected in the days ahead that are coming when many of us believe the Holy Spirit is going to be coming and he will be looking for people who are already ready to receive his power and to put aside other sources of power which just get in the way and will be steamrolled by God. And may we lead our children in these steps, walked before us by Paul and by Jesus himself. So good. At this point, we invite you to continue this conversation with us. We'd love to hear from you. So you can join in and chat with us and with others on our private Facebook group. You can visit uh, peopleoftheway.org to join, or you can search for the People of the Way on Facebook and find our group. And we'd love to share ideas, share suggestions, hear your questions, hear your struggles, and um, just want to encourage conversation as we 
all seek to care for our children and to um, lead in their spiritual formation. So we hope we'll see you next month, May 2020, when we'll look at the virtue of being reflective, certainly important in these astonishing days. So join us then for the People of the Way podcast.